can't believe we're going to wrap on our first season already. I mean, it feels like we just started. If you're looking at it in terms of time, well, we didn't start all that long ago. But don't make it sound like we're going to be gone long. We just have a couple of jobs to handle, and we'll be back at it. Yeah, but I'm more sentimental about this than you are. I beg to differ. What? What? Hey chummers, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 10th and final episode of the first season of Deniable Assets. Proud members of the Shadowcasters Network. The show for two men aged beyond their years to talk at you youngins. I'm Mr. Clean, and that of course was Wolf. We're your hosts for this 10th episode, so let's jump into what makes the sixth world tick. There was some debate over what this final episode of the season should be about, and to be honest, we had a really hard time coming to an agreement. There was even harsh language thrown around. Very harsh. But we finally decided that we should do something that is near and dear to our hearts. We should talk about the homeland. That's right, we're eastbound and down, going with the devil on down to Georgia. Today, we're talking about the Confederation of American States. Come on down to the CAS. Yes, the CAS, our homeland. We both hail from Texas. I'm a native of the DFW Metroplex. My father was a Lone Star police officer, and my mother was an officer in the CAS Navy. I'm the only human child of a family full of metahumans. I am also the middle child of seven. I lived in the CAS until 2064, and then I followed my family to Seattle, where we relocated after the crash 2.0. I was a country boy. I grew up in a small town near the border with the Azis. My dad, he was Kaz Army, and my mother worked in the local auto parts store. Old man taught me how to shoot, and my mom taught me everything I know about cars. She also got me hooked on high-octane thrills. Now, as we did with our episode about the Vori, to better understand the Kaz, we're going to have to dive into its history a little bit. And like our previous episode, we must journey back to a time when magic was the sole realm of street entertainers and was sleight of hand and optical illusions. In April 1861, the Confederate States of America won their first victory against the United States at the Battle of Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina. This would mark the beginning of a four-year conflict that to this day is the single most costly war in American history claiming more than 750,000 lives for both the Union and the Confederacy. Now to break the South's will to fight, the Union General Sherman conducted a strategy called the Hard War. This policy targeted not only Confederate military targets, but also civilian ones. But suffice to say, the Confederacy was put down. Hard. Now, after the war, the South was left with a bad taste in its mouth. And I'd be more sympathetic to these ancestors of Dixie if their reasonings for this conflict weren't, by today's standards, wrong. But after many generations passed, the South was brought back into the fold of the United States, and its prosperity was, for the foreseeable future, tied to the Union. As time continued to march on, the South's separatist ways seemed to fade into the background as a new wave of patriotism took hold. And there were no real major events until many years later. 
As the awakening took place and mankind moved into the next era of technological development, the South became a booming giant of technological marvel, and it moved away from its agriculturally dominated economy to an information-based one. But all good things must come to a violent end, and they did in 2029. In the crash of 2029, the infotech-based economy of the South was obliterated, and when the federal government of the United States began pouring their relief efforts into northern manufacturing and other big business, this made Southerners feel like they were being hung out to dry. This was only compounded as the U.S. gobbled up what remained of Canada and began to turn toward a much liberal form of government. In 2032, 14 southern states sent representatives to Atlanta, Georgia, to discuss the extremely sensitive subject of secession from the Union. Now, unlike 171 years earlier, they weren't discussing this with the same issues they had then. Yes, 13 of the 14 states would later agree to secede from the Union on November 10th, 2034. Now, while many feared a second American Civil War, this proved not to pass, and it was a largely peaceful separation. The Confederation of American States was now formed by the states of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Virginia, with only southern Missouri and all but the northern border of Oklahoma joining. On December 19th of that year, representatives of the CAS and UCAS met to sign the Treaty of Richmond, where the UCAS formally recognized the Confederation as its own independent nation. This was all Azatlan needed to begin expanding north into Texas. On May 17th the following year, Azatlan invaded, pushing all the way to Austin before stopping. When the dust settled, one-third of Texas was lost. Now prior to the Azzi invasion, southern Florida, feeling a greater connection to its Caribbean neighbors than to its CAS government, split and joined the Caribbean League, taking with it the city of Miami. Now, there was a brief tidbit about how Texas got real frustrated at the rest of the Cavs for their lack of support in taking back land Texas lost to the Azzies. So, Texas decided to hell with this and form the Republic of Texas. And it went over about as well as it did the last time. It was a monumental dreck show. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. When I was a kid in school, they didn't even talk about the Republic incident. Guess there's not much to talk about whenever it only lasted for four months in a day. But the threat of Azatlan was not being completely ignored. To the west was the Pueblo Corporate Council, and it was in them that the Cavs found their first big ally. And in time, the Caribbean League proved to be strong trading partners, despite the heavy influx of illegal goods into the Cavs via southern Florida. Now, when many think of the Cavs, they are immediately reminded of generations of stereotyping as slow-speaking, simple-minded country folk who are inflexible to change and pride themselves on their independent streak. They talk slow, think slow, and act slow, and with the exception of the first, they couldn't be further from the truth. The Cavs sits in an exciting and dangerous position. They are poised for an economic prosperity the likes of which would rival their boom prior to the crash. But their own political discontent and the looming shadow of the armies of Azatlan threatened to undo the bright future the Cass's ruling party have planned for themselves. The capital of the Cass is Atlanta, Georgia. The ATL is really a shadow of what it used to be, and this is thanks to the Crash 2.0. 
The rich neighborhoods and corps have always enjoyed high levels of security in the Atlanta sprawl, and this left Lone Star to provide limited security to the rest of the city. But with 2.0 hitting the city hard, this has just about removed that limited quality to those districts. Just a friendly reminder, if you're ever in Atlanta, pack at least two guns wherever you travel. You don't want to end up KIA. Now, if you're into haunted places, then look no further than New Orleans, Louisiana, or Nolens, as the locals say it. New Orleans is probably the second most haunted place in the Cavs. The city is still a happening place, despite its high rate of criminal violence and haunting. It's a great place for me, since the smuggling game is huge in the city, and there's plenty of excitement, especially around Mardi Gras. Next up is the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. DFW has seen a massive increase in population after the war with the Azzies. And while this gives the Dallas city officials a reason to give a giant middle finger to Houston, their eternal rivals, this has also choked the city's resources and nearly bled them dry. The corps are big in the Metroplex, and none bigger than Seder Krupp. Now on to Nashville, the cultural capital of the South. It's the Southern Hollywood. Here, music, movies, and television productions are the name of the game. One of their most popular shows was On Point, a show about cops keeping the peace in Austin. And speaking of Austin, the divided city is split between Texas and Ozatlan. At one time, the city's unofficial motto was Keep Austin Weird. Today, that couldn't be further from the truth. They exist in a perpetual police state, where Lone Star cracks down on anything suspicious with a level of aggression matching that of Knight Errant. There are a few great natural features, but two of the most prominent are the Mississippi River and Hellbender Valley. Now, the Mississippi enters the Caz at St. Louis and runs all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, nearer New Orleans. The southern end of the river is a petri dish of disease, and there's been stories that some of the creatures in the delta are big enough to swallow a troll in one gulp. Now, Hellbender Valley is located in eastern Tennessee. I don't know a lot about parazoology, but from what I've been able to learn, hellbenders are giant salamanders, because why wouldn't that be a thing? The valley is mostly uninhabited by people, since the massive amount of paranormal plants, animals, and other unexplained phenomenon doesn't really play well with others. And the last special feature of the Kaz that we will cover is the Trail of Tears. Beginning in northwest Georgia, marching west across Tennessee, disappearing at the Kentucky border only to re-emerge re in Missouri, and work its way south into Arkansas, ending in Oklahoma, is the Trail of Tears. Beginning in the 1830s and running to the 1850s, the U.S. government at the time conducted the forcible removal of Native Americans from their homelands. Some of the people affected were the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, Muscogee, and Seminole. In many cases, these people were forced to march the entire journey. Of the Cherokee Nation alone, it's estimated that as many as 6,000 people died from exposure, starvation, and illness. Needless to say, this amount of human suffering left its mark long before magic came back. The trail can cause a great deal of interference with dual-natured beings, and there's a lot of supernatural activity. And you might meet a free spirit or two out there. When one thinks of the Kaz, they often think of Texas. Let's face it, 
It's hard to talk about the Confederation without mentioning the Lone Star State. And speaking of Lone Stars, the Lone Star Security Services was founded in Austin, Texas on July 22, 2017. Huh. What? I don't know. Just saying that year. Weird. Glitch in the Matrix, man. Don't think too hard on it. But yes, Lone Star has become the most prominent law enforcement agency in North America. It holds over 60% of all municipal contracts across the UCAS alone. My old man was a member of Lone Star's fast response team and saw his fair share of the gang wars in DFW. They are probably the closest thing the Sixth World has to a legitimate law enforcement agency, despite being a private corporation. While you'll still see those gung-ho corporate backstabber types, most Lone Star officers are there because they truly believe in their job. Now Doc Wagon is another local boy that managed to find international fame. Based out of Atlanta, Doc Wagon quickly established itself as the premier medical service by responding to calls faster and having a lower death rate than their competitors. But not content to rest on just fast quality service, they became the first to institute HTRs, or High Threat Response Teams. These teams were capable of inserting themselves into a hot zone and getting to their client no matter the risk. And if that wasn't enough, they introduced the policy of 10 minute response time or your on-site care was free. Sounds more like ordering a pizza than patching a bullet hole. Now, they were also the first to introduce subscription services. You can pay an annual fee to receive treatment based on your financial status. Doc Wagon is a real lifesaver, pardon the pun. They've pulled me out of a bad way a few times, and it's always money well spent. Now, while this next group isn't exactly local, or at least their owners aren't, they are a staple of the American tradition. Ares Space maintains its headquarters in Houston and the launch site at the old Kennedy Space Center at Cape Canaveral. Ares Space is, of course, a division of Ares Macro Technology. Well, I think that about covers the highlights of the CAS. If we talked any more about it, this episode might drag on for hours, and it already sounds like we're tooting our own horns, so this is where I think we'll call it for season one. Wolf and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in each week to listen to us ramble about things that probably don't hold any meaning to you. We'll be on break for the next few weeks while we take care of a few important business matters. If time permits, and if we can do it without breaking our cover, then maybe we'll broadcast while in hiding. Yes, we look forward to hearing from all of you. So please, don't forget to email us, visit our website, and leave a comment, or just giving us a decent rating on iTunes from your deck or com link or other mobile device. But until Season 2 drops, adios, Omei. He's been Wolf. And he's been Mr. Clean. And this has been Deniable Assets. Good night. And good running, chummers. The music for Deniable Assets is written and performed by Johnny Clear and the Meltdowns. Support Deniable Assets team by donating to our Patreon. Email us at realdeniableassets at gmail.com. And follow us on Facebook at the Deniable Assets page.